Hello, and welcome to the Spiraling Higher podcast hosted by me, Sam, Mindset and Manifestation Coach. And me, Gina, your Biz and Mindset Coach. We're here to support you on your spiritual journey by bringing you intimate and raw conversations about healing, manifestation, consciousness, and spirituality. We hope this podcast makes you feel less alone as you become aware of your patterns and limiting beliefs to uplevel your life, manifest like a boss, and together, spiral higher. Welcome back to the Spiraling Higher podcast. I am seeing Sam through a computer screen. She's actually in New York right now, and she's going to be meeting with our next guest in person, but I will be on a video chat with them, which is totally fine. But we're so excited to jump into him. But before we go there, Sam, why don't you share with us what happened today? Today? Oh my goodness. So I'm currently in New York City, and I'm here for the first time in 10 years. So wild. It's so crazy. I moved here 10 years ago in 2012 to pursue a professional ballet career, and it was really the start of my dark night of the soul. I went through a lot of turmoil, and coming back here 10 years later feels like such a trip. I mean, what a reflection. I walked actually to—I biked, actually, which was my—I'd never done that before. I never biked in New York City, which was so much fun. It is so crazy that you can have first in an old place, but I biked mm. to my very first apartment and took some photos there and it felt so surreal. I saw the Starbucks I used to always go to. It was really wild and I could feel the divine timing of everything. So crazy. Isn't that so weird? I mean, I feel like recently too, I went back to one of my old jobs and I mean, just when you think back, I mean, even when you and I first met, it's actually crazy to me that I didn't know you when you went to New York. Like, I feel like Mm, I know so much about that time just through our conversations, but I didn't know you back then. But it is crazy because you can reflect on who you were then in relation to who you are now. And there's just like such, such a big gap. Was that the most surreal part for you? Well, yeah. Like one of the best ways to measure your growth is to go to a place where, a place that hasn't really changed. I mean, that's odd to say about New York because obviously it's changed a lot, but right. New York, think of it as a static place or like location. And then you can really feel... Like I went to places that I'd been to before 10 years ago and it felt like I'm not even seeing it the same way, but it is totally. the same. It's the same streets. Yeah. It's the same subway. But the way I know it's different is that I'm different. And so mm. that's the thing. When you change, your reality changes. And so my entire mm-hmm. experience of New York feels so radically different. Yet New York has remained relatively unchanged. You know, so many of the same yeah. stops and you know, shops that I used to go to and like obviously the apartment building that I lived at is still there, but I have a completely different perspective on it, which just really, I don't know, it feels really reflective. And I felt like crying today because I really feel like I've grown so much. I mean, how could I not? It's been 10 years. How could you not? Yeah. I hope so. In 10 years. Like 10 years ago when I began dealing with a lot of struggles, I was having panic attacks. I had an eating disorder. I was just really troubled and didn't know how to get out of my mind and into my body. And I wish 10 years ago, I had someone like Cyrus. And Cyrus is our guest for today. He actually lives in Brooklyn. And so we're meeting in person, which is so exciting. But he's someone that I actually started following on TikTok. I don't know if you remember, Gina, me telling you about him, but he had like 3,000. Yeah, he had 3,000 followers when I started following him. And I would just save his videos as like little short meditations. He has the most meditative voice. You got to have a voice. He does. If you're going to be a meditation teacher, you have to have the right voice. And I was just liking all of his stuff. I think I commented months and months ago, like 
everyone's sleeping on this dude. He's awesome. <laughs> and then the next time I saw one of his videos, he had like over 250,000 subscribers or followers. And so it just goes to show that when you Crazy. really put a lot of, I know, when you put a lot of passion and drive into your work, I mean, people just, people just love it. And so when I knew that I was flying to New York, I thought, hey, do you think he'd want to meet up in person? And you were like, why don't you just message him and see? And so ask, just manifested ask. it. Here we are. He is literally on the way. He's walking over from the train station now. And I'm so excited to bring you everything he knows about mindfulness, meditation, and emotional freedom technique, which you might consider tapping. He has so much information on this. He currently teaches meditation to all kinds of different businesses and professionals. He's actually done sessions with both me and Gina, which have been, for me, it was life-changing. Life-changing. I mean, I ugly cried the entire time. The entire time. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. I do wish that uh, this was available to us in our younger years, but you know what? Everything happens in divine timing, um, including Cyrus's arrival. So we're going to wait for him to arrive. I cannot wait. Um, I'm a little jealous that you guys are together, but it's fine. Yeah. So I guess we're going to be really diving deep into, I guess, what tapping really is and exactly what his process is because I've watched other videos before, but I feel like the way he does it is just, it's just different. It was different. I've done a lot of tapping meditations just on YouTube and I follow a couple other online communities that use these meditations, yeah. but I never pay for like the premium ones. So the first time I actually- <laughs> Well, you never pay for the premium thing of anything. So that doesn't, that doesn't really say much. actual first time <laughs> I paid for tapping instruction was with Cyrus and it was a private session. Yeah. And I'll go more into it during the episode when he's here, but I want to really know- what happened because it feels almost unexplainable the emotional shift I experienced through him. And so I'm really excited to dive into his process. I know you felt the same way. Welcome, Cyrus, to the Spiraling Higher podcast. Thank you. We're so excited to have you. I was just telling all of the listeners in the intro that I've been following you since you had 3,000 followers on TikTok. How many are you at now? I think it's like 230,000. Wow. That's incredible. You know already I've been following you diligently. I've been saving all of your meditation videos. I use them all the time. But I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into mindfulness. Like, is this something that you practiced when you were a child or how did you fall upon mindfulness and meditation? That's a good question. I think as a kid, I was extremely ADHD and I struggled with that constantly. I felt like a terrible student. I couldn't focus. I couldn't, I couldn't learn. I couldn't fit into the normal school system and I didn't really understand why. And then my doctor was like, you got ADHD, bro. And I'm like, cool, where are the meds at? He right. was like, okay, you're, gonna, you're a teenager, so you're going to need parental permission for that. And I asked my parents, and my parents are kind of hippies, and they were like, that's not going to happen. Like, we don't believe in meds. So they were like, you know, it wasn't even a tough love thing. They weren't like, figure it up. They're just like, we're not, we don't yeah. believe in that. So, well, well, that is pretty, that's a pretty good point that you just made because a lot of people, when they discover they have ADHD, that's the first solution they go to. It's like, oh, we'll just medicate you. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but there are other solutions as well, or can at least be used in tandem with medication. So obviously your parents were these hippies. So they said no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were like a teenager then discovering mindfulness. Yeah, basically I was led into it because of that. 
and I started dabbling in meditation. I, it's not really a super interesting story. I just started reading books about meditation. I remember I picked up a book called Mindfulness in Plain English. And there's a really cool story in there, actually, that just popped in my head about loving kindness. Like the whole, fin- the whole end chapter was about loving kindness. And he talks about how he waved. It was like a monk who wrote the book. And he said he waved to his neighbor every single day and for months. And the, the neighbor never waved, waved back. He just scowled. And then he kept sticking with it and waving and just saying a friendly hello every single day. And after like three months, finally the neighbor waved back. And then a week later, the neighbor said, you know, I just want to thank you for waving to me all those months I had surgery and I was in so much pain. I couldn't wave back, but I wanted to that whole time. Right. I was like, oh, like never assume why someone's acting a certain way or whatever. So just, Mm. just kind of being shown those ideas early on and, but, but mainly about mindfulness and meditation intrigued me because it helped me deal with my ADHD. And I had to learn it the hard way because I was so mentally scattered that I had to go really deep into meditation and figure it out like the nuts and bolts standpoint. And I think a lot of people just treat it as a superficial thing, which is why a lot of people struggle with it because they're not going a little bit deeper into it. So hopefully we can talk a little bit about that too. Well, I'm curious, like, what does it look like to go deeper into it, right? Like, what does it look like between, you know, someone who's just interested in meditation and trying one of the apps versus what you are experiencing, which is an actual reduction in hyperactivity in the brain. You're feeling much more balanced. You're not taking medication, I'm assuming. You know, how can we really use meditation as a tool for that? Because I think meditation is so trendy now. People are like, oh, I'm going to meditate. But are they really getting to a deeper level of calm and are they really getting to that deeper level where they're experiencing long-term effects or are they just meditating to say they meditated right you know Mm. what's the difference between these two states yeah that's a really good question i mean before i answer that because it's such a big question and i feel like you know there's a million things firing in my mind what's what's y'all's experience with meditation Mm. gina what about you you've been Yeah. Tell us. Well, I think for me recently this year, actually, I've been working with a medical medium and she, we do these meditations together. And I think, you know, I've been meditating now for a few years. And I think in the beginning, it's like what you said, it was kind of superficial. I was doing it a lot of the time to get something out of it. You know, a lot of these ones are like higher self meditation. So you're trying to get this insight for your future or, you know, I would sometimes go to it just when I'm anxious. It wasn't right away a daily practice for me. And so anyways, as I started to learn a lot deeper, um, I wanted to better understand, yeah, like what is going on in my mind when this is happening. And one of the things that I've learned is that so many of us are addicted to adrenaline. And that it is really hard for me to quiet the mind enough because, and I actually watched one of your videos today where you talk about the drop-off phase. So I would love for you to talk more about that Mm. because there is a point in meditation where you kind of notice that you're letting go. And then that's where my brain starts to go crazy. I start to think like, okay, I got to stop. I got to stop, stop thinking, stop thinking. And then there's a little bit of chatter at that point, I find. Is that what you would say the drop-off phase is? Is that what you were referencing? Yeah, that's a great question. 100%. I think that's characteristic of the drop-off phase. And just for context for listeners who might not have seen that video, the drop-off phase is apparently people commented that it's like a thing from Finding Nemo as well. Like, don't go to the drop-off. Like, I completely forgot about that. Oh, yeah. That's so funny. (laughs) Like, at least consciously, that's not where I got it from. But but yeah, the drop-off phase is like when you're entering the moment and when you're slowing down and becoming more present, you'll notice that 
your body and your mind kind of has a weird reaction to that or you start to get a little bit antsy or tense and it's like oh i'm not used to going at this speed i have to speed back up and there's that kind of internal resistance and that pushback so sticking with that and feeling through that and expecting that like you said is a really good bridge to get through that because most people just stop there and they get to the bridge and they're like uh i Uh, And then they just speed back up because they're not used to that feeling and they don't understand what it's signifying. Like it's basically just signifying, like you said, I'm used to running on adrenaline. I'm used to going through my daily life, running on fumes, you know, maybe being underslept, maybe running on caffeine. And without this adrenaline, I don't know if I would get things done. I would just burn out. And there is the feeling of evidence to back that up because sometimes when people stop and they burn out they go oh i just want to lay on the couch see i proved it like when i slow down i just i don't do anything right Mm -hmm. but then that's the drop-off phase but if you stick with that and you don't self-medicate you know using like caffeine or whatever i don't want to sound like i have a vendetta against caffeine but uh, (laughs) that's that's my real agenda (laughs) is to come here and be like (laughs) anti-caffeine maybe anti-energy things coffee is fine in moderation but but yeah so I guess I'll never be sponsored by Red Bull at this point, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so basically sticking with that phase, what happens is your your mind and body adjusts to that new speed and that new level of presence. And well, I, I don't know, like Sam, you, you messaged me about that. Yeah, well, this is really interesting because this mirrors what I'm learning a lot about dopamine in general and how we're constantly seeking pleasure. So you could say pleasure, adrenaline, like high energy spikes. And the more you do that, the less pleasure you're actually able to feel. So the way what I see in your work and what I've learned so far kind of is really parallel because what I'm seeing is that you need to get comfortable with being in that discomfort. So what you're calling the drop-off phase, um, someone else might call withdrawal, right? Like we have to get kind of used to that nothingness, that sense of I'm not going to identify with what I do. I'm just going to be for a bit, but it's so uncomfortable because we don't do that. And so even with meditation, like my journey was very much like Gina said, we're in the beginning, like, I'm just trying to meditate to like get something. I'm like, okay, I'm going to meditate and get messages from my higher self. And now my meditation practice is so different. I literally just sit there and like feel the energy in my body. Like I'm not trying to think, I'm not trying to procure messages from the universe. I just try to feel like energy in my feet, energy in my hands, like just feel the formlessness in my body. And so that I'm not identified with thought at all. And so I think people are so scared to meditate because they're like, well, I'll just think thoughts. Right. And I think that they need to become comfortable with the fact that that's normal for the first, how would you, how many minutes would you say? Like thoughts don't cease immediately. 15 to 20. That's just a ballpark number. Right. But no, hardly anyone even does that. Mm. There's, they, they try it for five yeah, yeah, and then they're yeah. like, well, I just thought more thoughts. So it didn't help at all. And so I think that we need to be encouraging people to probably sit through a little bit of discomfort because it's new, right? A lot of people haven't implemented this into their life yet. So it just feels, you know, scary, new. The brain's like, we've never done this before. There's also, like you said, that fear of stopping doing anything as if that's going to impair their ability to do work. I actually had an experience with this when I first started breath work, probably three months ago. 
I remember I had a breathwork class with a practitioner inside of my program and I wanted to skip it because I was like, I have so effing much to do today. I don't have time for this breathwork class, but I was like, I can't skip it. It's my program. It's my (laughs) class. So I show up and I do the class and it was so amazing because afterwards my nervous system had been so much more regulated and the amount of work and at the level of efficiency I was able to achieve after was just proof that that sort of adrenaline, like got to do it, got to do it now is actually very ineffective. Like I'm learning to counterintuitively, almost like counteract that by finding peace first. There's a lot of people who think I need to do everything and then feel peace. Mm. Whereas like, I've like totally reversed that. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to find peace then yeah. do that. Right. And, it gets, and it gets, it's such stronger, more in flow work. Yeah. And I don't think many people have experienced that because they're trying to do it all and then relax. Yep. And then they keep the cycle going. Okay, that's an amazing insight. And I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball question at y'all and see what you think, just kind of like piggybacking off that. What would you say to someone who says, I'm nervous or I'm scared that if I find peace first, then I won't be motivated to do anything or do the things that I want to do? What would you say to them? I would honestly say the way you've done it so far hasn't worked. So you got to trust me and try a different way. Because if someone else had told me that, I wouldn't have believed them. I needed to do it my way and fail so many times to become curious about a different way. And so I think that I also had that exact same fear. Like if I stop, if I stop, if I chill, if I find peace, then like my life will fall apart and I will do nothing. But someone had to challenge me and say, but what results are you getting right now? by doing everything and not meditating and constantly running and constantly being in a state of adrenaline, how much are you actually getting done? And it was kind of like the tortoise and the hare story where I was the hare. I was just burning out. I was running super fast, but then I would totally crash. I I would crash literally once or twice a month where like everything I had built for the past two, three weeks would just literally fall to nothing because I became so overexhausted, so burnt out. And I think most people are living in this cycle. Like everyone's living in a state of like burnout, adrenaline, burnout, adrenaline. And people are, I think, sick of it. And so I think a lot of people right now are finding mindfulness, which is so beautiful, but they're not going into these really deep states because they're afraid of the drop-off phase. They are afraid of what if I find peace? What is there after that, right? And what's so funny is Gina and I were at Abraham Hicks workshop recently and how she was saying oh, yeah. that. Tell me about that. Oh, it was so incredible because what she really taught us was that you're either trying to affect a situation or you're trying to affect your state. And what's so odd is that when you're trying to affect your situation, therein lies the desire to affect your state. So she said, go the other way, affect your state and it will affect your situation. But it's like, we have a lack of faith, right? And so I don't know. What would you say to listeners who are just doubtful that changing their state first will give them the results that they want? Yeah. I would say you build faith in that idea through experience. Simple as that. Like you can't, you can go based off somebody like Sam or Gina who's telling you this is true and and have some amount of faith, but you're not going to have a removal of the doubt that's in the way of that faith until you actually experience it yourself. And to take the mystery out of it, it's really as simple as just reversing the habit that we all have of, okay, there's a stressful situation or I feel some disturbance inside and trying to control the situation, which is what we're all conditioned to do. And just habitually, just as an experiment, going to the energy that you feel and just staying with that and allowing it until it dissipates and until you're like, huh, 
I don't really perceive this as a problem anymore. And then you just deal with the situation. I mean, that's so powerful because how do we, and I know you're a big proponent of David Hawkins' work, Letting Go. Right. You're the one who actually told me to read that book. Yeah. And I did. Nice. Um, we, that was our first DM conversation. It was about Letting yeah, Go. Yeah. And I said the intro slaps. <laughs> <laughs> and we became friends over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do, we, how do we not make our emotions a problem? Because that's the problem. Everyone experiences a negative emotion and then makes it a problem that they have to fix. Whereas letting go or David Hawkins and your work is about not making the emotion a problem at all, just letting it be there, not interfering with it. And I think most of people's addictions are literally born from trying to fix an emotion, which you yeah. can't physically do, right? Emotions don't go away. Emotions are not suppressed through human suppression. They just stay, right? right? So how would you educate someone on allowing their emotions to exist because people are so afraid to feel them. Absolutely. Well, I think if anyone wants to learn more about emotions, so I would say check out that book, Letting Go, The Pathway to Surrender by David Hawkins. It sounds like mm -hmm. kind of a boring subject, like I'm going to read a book on emotions or it sounds kind of generic, but he writes about it in a way that's so straight to the point and so profound and so revealing in a way that I've never seen any other author write about emotions. He just helps you understand your human condition. Like, like people always joke, oh, you don't have a, a manual for being a human being when you enter the earth. Like, that's the manual. Like, that book is mm. the manual, right. you know, right. or the closest thing I know to it, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because there's so many how-to books on, like, how to, like, build a business, how to, like, fix a car. And it's, like, none of that even fucking matters if I know how to manage my emotions. Like, what's the point of having a car and, like, yeah. a business and, like, a house if, like, I don't know how to be with my anxiety? It's, like, this is the human experience and we don't know how to be with it. And so I'm actually curious to hear from you personally. How would you summarize letting go? Like, what does letting go mean to you? Well, in terms of that book and the way he describes it, I would just say it's understanding that and to your earlier question about like, how do you deal with these emotions? It's understanding first and foremost, that if you resist an emotion, it just gets stronger. And a, a huge yeah. hidden factor that most people are not aware of is they're not aware that they're resisting their emotions. They're doing it unconsciously. Mm. Like they're doing it just by thinking about their emotions. They don't even register that that's a form of resistance, but what oh, it is, is you're exerting mental willpower to hold the emotion in place and try to change it. It's like you're performing surgery on the emotion, but it, all it's doing is you're just turning it into a, you know, a mess on the operating mm. table. Yeah. How would someone become aware that they are resisting the emotion then? Like where, when does that awareness kind of peak? Because I would say that, I mean, and you too, Gina, right? How, how often have we resisted emotion with thought and not even realized that we had emotion? It was usually us that had to mirror back to each other that we were having an emotion that was sort of unconscious to us. Yeah, I don't know. I think for me, like I just kind of going back to the early part of the conversation, I think I think I was just very addicted to like thinking that I had to fix the emotion by, I don't know, I honestly thought it was me. I, we've talked about this in previous episodes. I thought I was the emotion. And so to start having this awareness that you are the one that can actually also release that, it, it feels confusing at first to separate the two from, from yourself, right? That you are the one that's aware of the emotion, but you're like, but I'm the one who's feeling that. And, and then it kind of, like you said, kind of lives in you. And so for me, I'm someone that really likes to feel my emotions. Like I will close my room door and I just like to cry. 
And I just like to like feel them really deeply. But the part that was missing for me was actually letting go. <laughs> I, right. I stewed in it. <laughs> and I tried it and I stayed there, right? Yeah. 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 But then I think on your side, Sam, I think you, a lot of people avoid it and they suppress it and they just don't think about it. Whereas for me, I just constantly thought about it. I constantly lived in it, kind of stayed mm. with me all the time. I kind of moved through two phases. Like the first phase was suppressing without knowledge of suppressing. And then the second phase was yep. suppressing, but knowledge of suppressing, which then led to shame because I was like, oh shit, I'm doing the thing where I'm suppressing, which was like more thought. So I remember actually, this is a good segue. Cyrus, I hired you for a private session back in May when I was struggling with a lot of difficult emotions. Yeah. And I basically told you, I'm resisting this so bad. And I'm like mad that I'm resisting this so bad. And you yeah. said, okay, hey, we're going to tap on that first. Like, we're not even going to go to the core emotion. We're going to start with the top layer, which is that you're mad that you're even resisting this. And I was like, oh, okay, let's start there. And so literally I was, this was Cyrus, you probably feel so sorry for me. I was like literally in my car and like a dark parquet, like with, remember, my, iPhone, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> with yeah. my iPhone on zoom and I'm like crying in the car, but you started me off by Let's tap first. And by the way, we're talking about emotional freedom technique, which I'll ask you more questions about. But we started tapping on the first layer of emotion, which was that I was just mad that I was even having this experience. It felt like yeah. I don't know why I'm feeling this and I don't know why I'm resisting it. And like, I'm mad about that. But I knew deep down the emotion wasn't actually, the core emotion that came up first wasn't anger. Anger was kind of the add-on emotion. And so that's mm. also confusing for people that you can be experiencing mixed emotions, right? I yeah. think oftentimes we'll feel sad, but then, you know, mad is like the cover up for that. And so do, are yeah. we sad? Are we mad? Like what's the feeling here? And so I had to tap with Cyrus on feeling mad first. And it wasn't until after we had removed that layer that we got to the sadness. And what was so crazy was that the sadness was not related to what was happening in my current environment. It was old shit from when I was like 12 years old. And so once again, all healing is inner child healing, I swear. But what would you also say about how, you know, these somatic memories, you know, energies get stored, you know, how, how can tapping help us heal both new and old emotional pain? Yeah, great question. I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure everyone's kind of familiar with tapping, like your audience, I feel like would be tapped into that pun intended, I guess. But um, <laughs> Yeah, that was bad, but, that was but okay. I love it. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, just to give like a super basic primer and also to give some context on why it works. Basically, it's using Chinese acupressure points, you know, which dates back obviously centuries, thousands of years. So it's a, it's an ancient system, but it's adapted for modern usage by tapping on these points physically. So the points that you would literally put acupressure needles into you're just using your fingers to tap on them and they've shown in the last 10 years that or maybe a little bit more than that at this point that in brain scans the amygdala which is the fight or flight part of your brain that sends out those stress chemicals when you think of a stressful situation becomes deactivated when you tap while holding a stressful thought or moment in mind so normally when you think of the stressful thought it just sends out waves of stress chemicals unimposed. But by tapping while holding it in mind, you're sending a safety signal to your brain, to your amygdala. You're sending a counter conditioning calming signal, which then creates a new neural association with that memory or thought or whatever, which then allows you going forward to 
just be calm and less emotionally charged when you think of that thing or that issue or whatever it is. So, and then you're also verbally addressing it and starting with acceptance. Like I accept that this thing happened or I accept that I feel this way, whatever, because a lot of the time, like Sam was mentioning, there's just resistance to the fact that something happened or that you're feeling a certain way. And so just by starting with acceptance, you're removing that layer of resistance. And then you're getting to the layer of the actual emotion, just like Sam talked about. And then by tapping on that and the different aspects that might comprise that or the different, you know, memories or events that might comprise that and removing the emotional charges and then also re-narrativizing it verbally, like, okay, I'm safe. It's safe to release this. It's safe to feel this. And, you know, this is what I learned from this event or, or this, you know, period of my life or whatever it is. You're then working from both angles from the energetic angle first and foremost but also from the cognitive and identity angle so it's the best of both worlds and that's often missing from something like talk therapy which is amazing but a lot of the time it's almost it's like the energy is only coming up through a really tiny you know tiny narrow passageway as opposed to when you're really allowing yourself to feel these things energetically the energy can come rushing up and through and then it just leaves your body and you're not holding it anymore so that the pressure that's creating these thoughts or these stresses are just no longer there. So you're just able to be clear-minded and clear-hearted about it. I mean, I was literally floored at how clear I felt after all that emotion had come out. And I think what's really shocking about doing a powerful tapping session is you won't even know that that, that, that there's so much emotion there. All I could feel was just the resistance portion. Like I just felt the discomfort, the irritation, the annoyance, just the sense of like, I'm definitely not in alignment. I don't fucking know why. Like it was just all this anger. And then when I got to the sadness, it was like, oh my God, this total explosion of emotion. I literally ugly cried and felt so much better. But I think something that you mentioned too, or that I want to clarify more is I think what's people need to realize is that your body does not know the difference between say like a tiger and a stressful thought, right? You're getting the exact same chemicals as if you were going to run away literally from something in the physical environment. Now, what's so incredible about the human brain is that you can imagine things that aren't happening, right? You can use this powerfully for manifestation. You can use this also to cause yourself a panic attack, right? And I have used it in both ways. And so what's incredible about I know manifestation works because you can cause yourself a panic attack by thinking about something that's not happening now, which is how you can also create gratitude for an event that hasn't happened now. But that's what people are doing every day. They're thinking of stressful things about the future. They're creating this incredibly detailed mind-made movie of like bad things that could happen. And then all that does is create anxiety now. And so you're like, it's just crazy to me that your body doesn't know that that isn't happening. And so when I tap, I get to tell my body, this isn't happening. It's an opportunity for me to say, I know that you're really scared about, you know, making a really bad podcast recording or something, but that's not happening right now. Like you're safe. And like you said, I'm, I'm telling myself the scary thing while sending myself a positive signal. And I think that's really powerful because normally we're just telling ourselves the scary thing and then it picks up energy and then it becomes so convincing that now we're having a full-blown panic attack. Right. Yeah. You're actually neutralizing the energy that's already there, right? It's already there. So you might as well deal with it as opposed to just trying to cover it up. Like some people just try to cover it up with positivity. It's like deal with the negativity first and then the positivity comes automatically because you've cleared out space for it. You know, when you have something that is 
the big trauma, something that it might not, maybe it's not even the big trauma. It might just feel really, really big to you. Cause I know when I came to you, it, it was felt like such a heavy thing. Do you find that people need more sessions or more tapping on the same topic, like the bigger weight that it is? That sounds obvious, but I guess like when in my session with you, I did release so much that in that moment, I kind of thought, okay, like I'm done. I don't need to do this again, but it yeah. still comes up. So then do you find that, you know, tapping with this modality, even though it does quote unquote work so well, are people constantly having to come back to it? Or have you seen people where it is able to release it in one go? It depends on what the issue is. I would say it tends to, and, and from the feedback that I've received, you know, over, over time, it tends to be more efficient than talk therapy in, the, in most yeah. cases, just in terms of relieving emotional issues, because you are going from the bottom up as opposed to top down. As they say, you're going from the body and the somatic and the sensations and the energy as opposed to primarily dealing with the cognitive. But it just mm -hmm. depends. In EFT, they have something called table tops and table legs. So if you have an issue like, I struggle around money, like I feel like money is scarce, right? That's your tabletop. And someone might come in and say they want to tap on that, but it's really that the tabletop that's about that is comprised of table legs. And those table legs are moments when you were younger, maybe where your one of your parents said, wow. oh, you know, if you spend your money like that, you're going to be out on the street. Right. Or a, a moment where you spent a bunch of money on something, you know, fleetingly in the moment, but then later you regretted it because you're like, no, I have no money left and I feel kind of silly, you know, like just moments like that where you feel something related to, for example, money comprise and build over time that tabletop of I don't trust myself around money or I don't trust money is abundant or whatever it is. So it could be any issue, but. Mm -hmm by identifying the tabletop, so to speak, and then tapping on the table legs and neutralizing the emotion that go into those different table legs, the table just collapses. You know, if you're sticking with the metaphor, the table just yeah, comes down and right. then, you know, whether it's one session or whether it's five, it usually the majority of people's, in most cases, major issues can be like significantly or almost completely reduced in their emotional intensity within a few sessions. But it's obviously a case by case thing for sure. Yeah, I was just curious. My session with you was so powerful. And then, I mean, I remember actually that day, I had two other sessions already booked. I think I had a session with Carrie, who we interviewed or did a podcast with in an earlier episode. She canceled that day because she was sick. There was another person, same thing, canceled on me. And it was the day that I was like, I need something today. And luckily, Sam sent me your email. And I, I remember hopping on with you pretty much, I think it was that day or the very next day. And yeah. You know, so much came up. And I think to your point, Sam, how everything really is inner child healing. It's crazy because I think when you get to this certain age, you're kind of like, I already know this stuff. Like I've already talked about this in talk therapy. I've already, the stories that I told you in that session, I've dealt with many times in, in lots of different sessions, but never that deep. And I think one of the most powerful things about it was you actually not only made me really go deep into it and like really bring it up, but then it was a part after that it's okay. It's okay that it's in my body and I accept it and I love it. 
and I'm okay. And you actually yeah. made me laugh about one of the, the most traumatic days I've had just <laughs> mentally. And he made me laugh. He's like, I survived. And I was like, I, I did survive. I, <laughs> I am okay. And it kind of makes you realize, oh yeah, even though that happened, you know, 15 years ago, and even though it lived in my body for so long, I, I am okay. But every time I used to think about that occurrence, it used to just instantly bring up this anxiety. Like I could never do that again. I can never do that again. But you really helped me to shift that, that mindset away from thinking that that's going to be the same experience every time I do something like that, if that makes sense. So yeah, that session was so powerful for that reason. Because yeah, like I said, bringing it up and then letting it be okay in your body. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Gina, your session was so powerful. I mean, both of ours were. I'm kind of wanting to come back to this amazing metaphor that you've just shared because I've never heard it, the tabletop and the table legs, because I'm almost what I'm realizing right now is the inner child healing is the table legs, but everyone's trying to deal with the tabletop. They're like, Hey, help me fix my money issue. Hey, help me lose weight. Like, Hey, like help me like build my business. like, and that's, what's so funny about what happens inside of my program is because they all come in like telling me about the tabletop. And I'm like, no, we're dealing with the fucking legs. Like we fuck the top. Like (laughs) as soon as we deal with the legs, you're right. It completely collapses. And now they can actually build a new story and develop a desire that's truly, I say, I call them freedom-based desires, right? The desire is no longer this fear story that is resulting from what happened in the past, right? Because mom said, oh, if you spend money like that, you're going to be on the streets. Okay, now I'm Mm -hmm. scared. Okay, now I'm going to have this weird relationship with money. And I think money is the problem, but it's like, no, we got to go backwards. Like we got, we got to go to the child. We got to go to the legs. Once you deal with that, everything just kind of falls away. And then now you can kind of build something new instead of trying to maintain that top. So I don't know, that metaphor was really powerful for me. Yeah. And, and that's great. And, and just to like put it in more practical context for, for people like running with that example of like the money thing. It's like you said, somebody comes in your program and they're like, I, I want to deal with what's happening right now. Not when I was five, like, what's the, like, what's the correlation, you know, or they might yeah. understand it logically, yep. but there's still some skepticism. And I completely <laughs> understand that, but just to put it in context, right. Say you're five years old and, and your mom says to you, like, if you keep spending money like that, if you spend your $1 allowance like that, you're going to be out on the street, right? Like you're going to, as a five-year-old hear that, believe that and feel that as a direct sensation in your body. Because as a five-year-old, the thought of being out on the street is like terror. Yeah, yeah. And you probably never process that. Like maybe it comes up in a session or something as a memory, but you probably barely even remember that unless it's pointed to. And you probably never process that. So your body never processed that energy of terror that got stuck inside and held inside. Because as a five-year-old, you didn't know how to emotionally self-regulate and go, I'm scared, but that's okay. I'm safe. Like, you're just like, oh, I can be on the street. And then you push it down and you go play, you know, video games or watch TV or whatever to distract yourself. But by going back to that memory, your initial reaction might be to say, oh, I was five. That's silly that I was scared. You're judging the emotion that was really there and that you might actually really feel when you think about it. So by bringing up that energy, it then can become cleared from the body. But again, just to give context, if you have that energy of terror, then when you go to spend a bunch of money on something that might be important to you in your present day life, that energy of terror will start to come back up and you'll start to feel and you're like, I'm not, I don't understand why I feel this like punch in the gut feeling every time I I go to spend a bunch of money or whatever, but then once you go back and you actually clear out that energy from when you were five and you clear out the judgment that you have of that and go to the actual yeah. route, pull that up, bring it out, then when you go to spend a bunch of money, you're like, no, I'm good. I'm safe. I'm an adult. I can do it. Right. It's fine. 
So it's completely different. It's so different. And what's so funny is that if they don't heal that, then they just think they need to get more money. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so to protect myself from the yeah, terror. Yeah. Like, oh, like if I have exactly. five million, then, I, then I'll probably never be out on the street. You know, like. Exactly. They're just building new tabletops, but you got the same like crickety old legs, right? And so right. I think even with with one of the things that I really came to you with was just this fear of being seen or fear of showing up or fear of even public speaking or podcasting or just really any sort of people seeing me. And if at first I thought that was my issue. I'm afraid of being seen. I'm afraid of video content. I'm afraid of recording something. But no, what it really was, was just this fear of not being accepted, this fear of not being loved, this fear of judgment, you know, this fear that I'm not going to be good enough. And so those were my legs, right? And that's why every time I try to go to therapy or try to take whatever courses to fix my issue with fear of public speaking, I was just like basically cleaning the top of the table, right? And so I think that's what's mm. so powerful with with um, tapping was, like I said, you you kind of are forced to almost go deep because you're really trying to go into that emotion. You have to kind of keep thinking, where did this show up for me before? Where does this really stem from? And I always talk about my daughter because really it's through seeing a child that I'm able to remember, oh yeah, like when I was a kid, I did internalize those things, but I, I just didn't know it because I see her, she's seven and a half now and already it's happening. Right. Yeah. And it's hard as a parent because I'm like, I don't want her to have any trauma, but she's gonna. I mean, she already has. Um, but I can already see like she has these people pleasing tendencies. Right. And a lot of that stems from the things that we as her parents and the people around her say like, oh, you're such a good kid. Oh, that's really good that you did that. Oh, wow. You shared and you let that person go first. So this whole time she's cataloging. This is good. This is bad. When I do this, people say these things. When I do this, people say these things. And so you can kind of see why everything really boils down to inner child healing because they're so unconscious. They're just absorbing. They're just soaking it all in and they're just learning how to behave. And so then we grow up as these adults that constantly scan to think, how do I need to behave now? Right? So mm. anyways, I just wanted to kind of go far further on that tabletop thing because I really didn't recognize at first that the fear was really stemming from that underneath part. I thought it was just that I sucked at doing this kind of stuff. Mm. But that's, no, you're that's great so at it, normal. by the way. You're super well spoken. Yeah, you're you're amazing. So, oh, thanks, Cyrus. <laughs> so, so true. It's it's so wild to me too. Like the journeys that EFT can really take you on. Because when we started the session, there was no way I could have predicted where we'd end the session, right? But what I want to yeah. say about a little bit more about emotions is that you know a lot of us are conditioned to think some are bad right? When you're a child, yes. and like Gina was saying about like, oh, you're such a good kid, right? So then, okay, what's bad kid? Is bad kid crying? Is bad kid having a tantrum, like throwing my stuffies around? Like what? So I'm learning, oh, I'm bad if I feel this. And so what I uncovered with Cyrus, actually, after we did a few rounds tapping on the resistance was there was a time when I was 12 years old in the car with my mom. And it was right before a dance performance the next day where I was the lead in this ballet. And she was getting really upset with me. And I just remember starting to cry. And then she got so mad. She was like, stop crying. If you cry right now, your eyes are going to be swollen, right? That was like my, if you spend money, you're going to be on the street. And yeah. so then I'm just like, okay, I'm just like like plugging up the crying. And so like you, like you said, then you just move along. You're a child. You don't process that. I just, you know, went to dance the next day, performed. And then all the while, like these 20 years later, it's like this suppressed cry is in my body. And then when something in the environment triggers me and feels like I should, I could cry right now, it feels really scary because I'm like, well, I didn't think that that was okay. Even though this isn't happening consciously, right? Because I think on a conscious level, I'm like, yeah, crying's fine. 
but like yeah. my body doesn't feel fine. My body's like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. We, we tried that when you were like 12 and it was terrifying. Don't do that. And so I had to really be led into it in a safe way. And like you said, tapping those points, saying those positive things like you're okay. Or I think you said something like, I was just 12 years old. And I just was mm. like, I was just 12 years old. Yes. And I just started crying and I just felt like all of a sudden so much compassion for the part of me that had stored that energy because I think what EFT has taught me is like it's given me so much forgiveness for my emotion because no one chooses the emotion. It's just what happens. We don't even choose to really suppress them. That happens unconsciously too. But then when we become adults, mm. we start to consciously judge the emotion. But it's like, we didn't choose this. Mm. We didn't even choose how we coped with it. That just kind of is what we unconsciously reached for. And so I have a lot of compassion for people with addictions. And, you know, unfortunately, Gina and I, we we had addictions that are like very, you know, glorified in society, right? Which is like yeah. overworking, right? That's an addiction too. And people don't say like, oh, wow, you should really get checked into rehab for that. You know, I'll people are- i you on sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, wow, you're doing so great. And then, so then there I am again, being like encouraged for this thing that is suppressing parts of me. And so that's why the healing journey is such a trip because there are times when I'm healing and I just think I'm being bad because I'm like yeah. feeling so many things, but I'm like, no, this is actually really good. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with emotions that I've learned so much from being a mom is that emotions don't have to make sense, right? Like a lot of times my daughter is freaking out about something that, you know, as a parent at first, you're like, why are you freaking out? Like nothing even happened. But then it's like, but that doesn't make the feeling any different. <laughs> like it doesn't have to make sense. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to make sense of it. It doesn't have to be logical, right? And I think that's why sometimes for you, Sam, that's your struggle is, you know, you have a hard time or a lot of people have a hard time feeling sad or any sort of negative emotion unless it's it's justified unless it's something that a lot of other people would feel. But other than that, you just kind of feel stupid and you then add that extra layer of shame for feeling that in the first place, which makes that emotion even worse. Right. And I think with tapping, you're really giving yourself that permission slip to let it come up and to be okay with it. And that even if it doesn't make sense, like you're really just showing up for yourself in these sessions. So, so yeah, I think emotions is, is such a it's such a hard thing because like I said, I think the biggest thing for me was really learning that I am separate from that and that we don't need to judge that. We don't need to shame. I talk a lot about this concept of shooting arrows. I don't know if I said this to you, Cyrus. I don't even know if we've talked about this on the podcast yet, but you know, the first arrow is really that that triggering event, right? I get up on stage, everyone laughs at me, I'm crying. That's the triggering event. But then we shoot the multiple other arrows at ourselves that we then have to yeah. like end from, right? Mm. Like how many arrows suffering. are we shooting at ourselves? Like even with my daughter, sometimes if I lose my patience or I, whatever it is, it's like that happened. But then it's like, I'm a bad mom. What's wrong with me? And then all of these other arrows get get shot at us. But as soon as we, we're okay with the emotion coming up, when we can accept that within ourselves, I've stopped shooting those arrows, which just means that I don't have as much to heal from because I'm not healing from self-inflicted. I love that. Yeah. I think that's the difference between pain and suffering. Like we can't avoid pain, mm. but we can reduce suffering. So I think suffering can be just a lot of self like perseveration. And, you know, these emotions are, I mean, these are for all humans. Like there's no human that like doesn't experience anxiety or anger yeah. or sadness. But why is it that everyone experiencing a really heavy or deep emotion, they say, what's wrong with me? Mm. Why yeah. do I feel this way? And I mean, what would you say to someone who's having really big emotions if they were saying to you, like, what's wrong with me? Well, first of all, I would say nothing's wrong with you. 
straight up. Like, I know, yeah. but no one believes that. They, people actually think that having big emotions mean something's wrong. Yeah, I mean, it might mean that your system is overtaxed or overloaded or it's remembering or recalling a really stressful stimulus and so your emotions are being amplified, your fight or flight is being triggered, or maybe you're chronically like that and it's like that all the time so you don't even know anything different, in which case, you know, there's obviously something to deal with there. But it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It just means that there's a lot of energy flowing through your body. That's all it means. Mm. Just again, to kind of give like a practical example in terms of not judging your emotions, an example that I'm sure tons of people can relate to. This one's just, I don't know, it's just interesting to me. Let's say envy or jealousy, right? Like Mm. pretty much everyone can relate. I I think everyone can relate to that. Maybe not the Dalai Lama, I don't know. Or maybe he was jealous of the former (laughs) Dalai Lama or something, but um, probably not. So say you feel I mean, this is such an interesting one because it's like the whole dynamic of everything that we've been talking about is something that we can relate to around this emotion. So say you notice someone who say is like doing something that you want to be doing and they're doing it super well and they're super successful and you feel jealousy. Well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people are conditioned to be like, that's bad. I shouldn't Mm. feel jealousy. That's the wrong thing to feel. That's the wrong thing yeah. to think. I, shouldn't, well, I should be happy for I them. I should be happy for them. I should be cheering them on. Or even in like the spiritual space, like taking it a step further, like, oh, I, I should be like, like, like my abundance is contingent on like yeah. feeling happy for them. Right. Like, yes. like, I should, yeah. you know, like, like it's dependent on that. Like if I feel jealous, I'll be putting out the wrong vibes to the universe and therefore like, yes. et cetera, et cetera. So you're judging the emotion, but then you have an inner conflict because part of you feels jealous and part of you thinks that it should feel happy for them and not feel the jealousy. Mm. And the definition of a definition of stress that I once heard is stress is just two parts of you being pulled in different directions, right? So, so I mean, there's just that inner conflict, right? Whereas when there's no stress, there's alignment. There's just all of you is moving in the same direction. But mm. every time a negative emotion comes up, like, for example, jealousy, you can't have that alignment if you're fighting the jealousy or if you're fighting the emotion you have to instantly align to it the moment it comes up so say for example the jealousy comes up and this is this is what this is a good example i think because it brings together everything we're talking about in in a really tangible way like say the jealousy comes up instead of going oh no i I noticed that i may maybe you're aware like i'm aware that i'm feeling jealous but i don't want to feel that so you push it away and you focus really intensely on the i'm so happy for you type of thoughts well that energy of jealousy maybe that you felt when you were you know in dance class when you're 10 or something and you saw a dancer who was dancing better than you and got more attention than you or something like that and you mm-hmm. felt that jealousy maybe that's what triggered it but in any case yeah. it's like bringing up some old emotion in the body of of competition or of not feeling enough or whatever it is and you're not dealing with that energy you're just going oh i shouldn't feel that and then you're focusing on the thoughts which are unintentionally suppressing and resisting the energy that you're feeling mm-hmm. whereas if you just went and this is where everything comes together went okay this is just an energy i'm not the jealousy I don't have to identify with this. It's just a feeling in my body. You go into the feeling. You know, and I think probably for the listeners, we should do like a little walkthrough at some point of an example so people can like feel this firsthand and it's not just theoretical, yeah. but you feel it. You identify where it is in your body. You allow it to run its course. You allow it to flow through you. And then the jealousy, the energy of jealousy will literally leave your body. And then there's no opposition in you when you go, oh, I'm happy for them. You'll just actually feel happy for them because you're no longer clinging to the fear, which is really what jealousy comes from. Like, oh, if I'm not jealous, then, you know, maybe I'm not enough. And it's really all driven by this fear. 
But once you release that, it's like, oh, actually, I feel expansive now. I feel abundant. I feel like there's space for that person to succeed and for me to succeed. So you're not arguing with yourself about it. You actually feel that higher intention that you were trying to talk yourself into when you were fighting the jealousy. And that can go for so many different emotions. I think that's the hardest thing to believe, though, because I think for most people, um, even children, right, the children have these tantrums and most parents are trying to block that before it peaks. They're like giving them a candy. They're doing this because they don't want them to to blow up. Whereas I learned when I was raising my daughter in those toddler years, like I wanted her to go through the entire emotional arc. I was like, get it all out and then learned, like then she just calmed down on her own. As an adult, I didn't know that I would do the same thing. You kind of think that as you get worked up, worked up, worked up, you're just going to stay there. You don't actually realize until you do something like this that actually letting it get to that top peak, it actually then does literally evaporate. I feel like that's like the best word. It just kind of like lifts off of you. And then you're no longer under the influence of this old narrative. And then that's when you can, you're able to welcome in actual thoughts and those actual feelings of being happy for that person instead of trying to force them in there, you know? Yeah. But on that note, I have to run. I am going, my daughter has a dance performance, so I have to leave now, but you guys continue and I will catch you all on the next podcast episode. Bye. Thanks so much, Gina. Enjoy. Have a good day. Okay. On that note, it's crazy to think that we think emotions are only for kids, right? And then we become an adult and then we're like, no, I'm just supposed to feel like happy and content all the time. Like something is wrong with me if I'm having a really blue week or if I'm having this much anxiety. But emotions are not reserved for just children. It's, It's just a human thing. What Gina was talking about too, with just like letting her kid be in that emotion, it made me think of two different things. Do you know Brene Brown? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you know her show, Atlas of the Heart? I've read the book. Oh, so it was a book? Yeah, it was a book first. Uh, I, ju- I just saw the show. And on the show, she was talking about how she's kind of entrained herself to be present with her kids in a way where if they're going through something difficult, she'll walk in the room and like if they're in the dark crying she'll just be in the dark with them and let them cry and just be present and hold space with them she won't try to like try to make them feel better or try to tell them like cheer up or try to get them some food to calm them down or whatever she'll just literally encourage them to be with the pain because she said something along the lines of like we have too many adults who are you know acting out negative things because they don't know how to handle their pain well, yeah, exactly. That's why I tell everyone, I'm like, healing is not some privileged thing to do. It's like fucking necessary. Like everyone needs to heal their shit, right? But I think we're we're so conditioned to not feel. I mean, I remember I told you obviously earlier that when I was a child, I was like, stop doing that. But then I also got these weird encouragements, like kind of comments like, oh, when you're when you're done, kind of like basically being emotional, like, then I'll talk to you. Mm. And I'm like, oh, clean yourself up. And then like, we'll talk or, you know, deal with yourself and then we'll talk. And so then I'm just basically being taught over and over and over again, that like me having this, whatever tantrum emotion is just bad. And then I'm being conditioned how to treat like my friends that way. And like my partners that way. And so it's like this never ending thing. And that's why generational trauma is a thing. Right. And so the curse ends with me. I'm not having kids, but (laughs) Seriously, like I had to learn as a friend now, right, how to be with people when they're crying. And Gina really taught me that because there were times when I would see her getting emotional. Like my first reaction is like, what do you need? What do you need? Like, what do you want me to do? Like, what's happening? Like, what do you want me to stop? And she would be like, 
I'm just, it's fine. Like, I'm just feeling sad. And I'd be like, wait, so so you just want to, you just want to cry right now? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, like that made me so uncomfortable because I Mm. realized I wasn't conditioned to think that was okay. And it actually gives me so much compassion for my mom because she wasn't comfortable with me having an emotional outburst, which really just meant that she wasn't comfortable with her own emotions because she wasn't shown that that was okay. And so then all of a sudden I'm feeling sad for her and then my grandma. And then it's just like a a puddle of tears. And I'm like, why are we all like trying to freaking hide our emotions? Like it's just human. Yeah. Which is what's beautiful about like, social media and tiktok and all this all these places where people are talking about this because it's it's like you said it's like the ending of a generational curse in a lot of cases like on mass people are learning about this on mass and like for all the negative things that people perhaps rightfully complain about social media like there's so many positive things yes like that yes too, too and i think um what we need to normalize for people too is like when they start their healing journey and i think this is what i'm going to write my book about, but it Mm. literally looks and feels like everything is falling apart at first because like you said, Mm. we're dealing with the table legs. So yeah, like shit's collapsing right now, but it's because literally attending to the tabletop was kind of not doing anything. Like this was on shaky foundation to begin with. We kind of need to allow this to fall and build from a better, stronger foundation, a new world, if you will, or a new life for yourself. And so when I started my healing journey, I remember feeling like, oh no, like I'm going backwards like look at me like i'm just sitting in the room crying and not get able to get off the floor like this is bad right but i needed to purge out that old story you know all those traumas and fears and limiting conditions and so it's funny because the journey i take my clients through they kind of feel the same way like around week two and three we start talking a lot about fear and they're like what are we doing? Can we just get to the manifestation part? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, we will. Yeah. But the manifestation part is almost like the byproduct of just doing that. And so I often tell my clients, I'm like, we don't have to worry about manifesting. We, we just heal and then manifestations happen. Right. And it kind of takes the pressure off because I think a lot of people think to themselves, oh, I got to go out and manifest. But that's kind of like fixing the tabletop. Totally. It's like, it's not sustainable. Totally. But, but like people don't, watch your videos before they come work with you and like see you say that i feel like i've seen you say that you know like or do they just kind of brush it to the side and they're still like yeah yeah cool i think you know what i think a lot of people right now are just really enamored by manifestation which is so beautiful and recently i've been hearing some judgments about it like oh like that seems so superficial and i'm like no you need to really give people like whatever their entryway is to any of this is perfectly fine you know i didn't grow up in the eastern world i wasn't learning about eastern mysticism and you know like Ayurvedic and like the Upanishads. Like I I didn't have that entry point. And a lot of people here in the Western world don't. And so I think it is beautiful that people are hearing about manifestation as a trendy word so that they can get interested and then now hear conversations like this. But, you know, my approach to manifestation is, I don't know how different it is from other people, but it's not like, okay, here we go. We're just going to like write down everything we want and then like meditate on that and then like take positive actions. Like, no, like we go in, like I'm making Mm. sure to figure out where is this desire even coming from? Like essentially, Mm. is this a fear-based desire based on something that happened in the childhood? Like let's talk about your table legs, right? Like when Mm. did you start believing you needed to have money to feel safe? Like, let's go back to that. And they kind of don't want to. They're like, they're like, that's irrelevant. Like just help me get the money. (laughs) And I'm like, the money is not the issue. Like the issue is the the core wound. Like when anyone comes to me about manifestation, I'm like, oh, this person has an unmet need right? Mm. That was born out of something that happened in their younger years. And so they're believing that money, the relationship, that's going to fix it. But 
it doesn't. And frankly, I had to go on the journey of like getting the things and like not being fixed. And so I think if that's a journey you have to go on, then, you know, touche, but hopefully we're helping people realize that there's almost like a faster, more efficient way. Like you don't have to grind to get those things and realize it later on. Like you can actually reverse that process. Like we said at the beginning and go for the peace first, find peace, find happiness. And then those things come. I mean, that is literally the law of attraction Yeah, and people don't want to use it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting. I think that's a human tendency where we think, oh, I'm probably the one person that just needs to go from the outside in first. Like, <laughs> like I can't trust what this manifestation teacher is telling yeah. me. I have to, uh, no, I have to get the car and all the money first. And like, I'll probably be the one person that's more satisfied than most mm-hmm. getting that. And then like, I'll learn the other stuff on the side. But I think it's also a matter of like, I try not to judge it too much because I understand it's a matter of a feeling of survival, a feeling of safety. Like that we've been taught by society that if you get these things, you're safe and you're secure. And there is like some validity and truth to that. Like if you have a certain amount of money, you're going to be more likely to be safer and secure than you are if you're, if you're in poverty. But there's levels to it, obviously. And if you're aiming to like, you know, generate some absurd amount of wealth in the misguided belief that that's going to, you know, make you like have total security, like there's no, I know. Well, the problem too with outsourcing security is that you have to constantly keep securing it. So that's the funny thing about money. And I've seen people want to manifest a million dollars and do that. But I mean, people wouldn't believe that that's not enough money for these people. They're like, well, now that I'm here, I'm scared that I can't pay for my boat. Right. Right? It's like there's a next level to like all this shit. So like now that person needs 10 million. So it's really never ending. You do have to go inside out. And so I'm actually just kind of curious. I mean, how do you feel? I mean, you started mindfulness practice is so young but i want to really know how it's changed your life mm. um, pre and post like does everything really feel like do you find yourself going to the outside still and trying to get things out there or do you really feel like since you've gone from the inside everything just kind of comes yeah i mean i feel like most of the time that i try to go to the outside like it, if i occasionally do the universe is just like, oh, nah, bro, that's not it. <laughs> like, well, it's just it's always not, be like it's that. not satisfying. <laughs> yeah, it's just like that's it. Just doesn't doesn't vibe. But I I don't really like draw. I try I try not to draw clear line between inside and outside in the sense that like I don't want to live some ascetic monk lifestyle where I can't like enjoy going on a trip or like enjoy a nice meal or like you know enjoy the 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 great things about life i don't think it's an either or scenario but i think like you said it's about asking like where is it coming from and are you chasing something right because if you're chasing something then you're in a mode where you're always going to be chasing something and there's always a feeling of not having enough as opposed to like i wish somebody had just told me when i was younger that it was an option like it's an option <laughs> to feel like you're already good you already have enough. You feel complete. You feel flowing with the energy that you want to have and, and the vibes that you want to have, you know, and the, the people you want to have in your life, all that stuff. And also do what you want to do from that place, like as the icing on the cake. Right. Right. As opposed to it being like cake that yeah. you're chasing constantly. 100%. I mean, that was a really big wake up call for me several years ago. And I thought, wait, I can just feel grateful now. Like, I I don't have to wait for the thing to happen, which 
the way I get people to understand that is by using the anxiety example. I'm like, well, you feel anxious now based on something that hasn't happened. So you can reverse that process. And then as I started practicing how I felt, actually, it was tapping that helped me get to those places. And then what's so interesting is now that I'm using the tool of tapping, now that I'm using mindfulness, now that I feel grateful and happy, I'm detached. Right now, mm. I don't. Now I'm not like hanging on like for dear life right. to the thing for the thing to happen, which is the exact opposing energy to the very thing. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm I'm kind of curious about this avenue, and I want to go that way. But I'm not hell bent on having it occur in that exact shape and form because I already have my feeling. And right when you don't need it is when you get it. And that's just the crazy irony of all of this. You can go directly to the source, which I think really is yourself. You know, you you direct your state, you control your emotions or rather feel and heal your emotions. And then all of those things just respond to you. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about Abraham Hicks. Like, <laughs> I'm not like... I mean, there's, there's so much, but frankly, everything really boils down to one thing, which is that you're either in a state of love or not. Yeah. And, or you could say you're in alignment or not. Mm. And so when you're in a state of love, you're in a state of acceptance, joy, curiosity, openness. And this is what invites in everything, you know, but when you're out of a state of love, that's when you're in fear, right? You And that's when you need something to come in before you can feel a certain way. And that's, you're standing at it the opposite way. But I think that people, I always tell people that they have to use their own life as an experiment because this information is just knowledge until it lives in the bones. Like it's, it's just words. It's just facts. And, you know, living with the awareness of something in your brain versus the actual lived heart awareness is very different. You know, I always say people know you're going to die, but there's like a few select people who've had like near death experiences that are like, Oh no, like I know I'm going to die. I haven't had a near death experience, but I had my father um, almost die when I was 13. He's still alive. And I was really young at that age thinking already like, oh, like this shit doesn't matter. Like we're all going to die one day. Like I remember he was dying in the hospital and I was like in middle school learning algebra. And I was like, does this shit matter? Like I started asking those questions at 13, whereas most people are like, I don't know, 20, 30 something before they're like questioning their lives. And so I think that's kind of how I got here. Not faster, but you know, relatively quickly um, questioning those things. But yeah, I don't know. It's been a journey. (laughs) Do you feel like that gave you a sense of urgency, that experience with your dad, or what did it what did it give you? It gave me a sense of honestly relaxation. It was it was almost as if oh, all the things that I thought mattered don't matter. I mean, notice how many things we spend our time on that as soon as like your life is in danger or someone that you love's life is in danger, it literally ceases to be important. And so I try to live my life in that way where I'm like, is, is, I ask myself like every day, I'm like, is this important? Like, is this worth being anxious about? And if it is fine, I feel anxious about it. And then I do the tapping, right? Um, which actually I would love for you to lead us through tapping. Sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Because I think at this point, everyone knows what the science behind it is, which is so incredible. It works people. It works. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you be the judge. Yeah. Oh yeah. You have to be the judge. Okay. Yeah. Lead us through. I mean, there, there's a few things to keep in mind. Like you want to do it properly. It's like meditation, tapping, anything. You want to do it properly so that you have the best possible experience so that you're mm. the most likely to keep doing it. Right. A lot of people will do it improperly. And so they'll kind of get murky results or returns from it. And then they're like, well, I tried that, but it was whatever. So if you are going to try it, I suggest 
stopping and like dedicating your full attention to it. Don't do it while driving. Don't do it while oh, yeah. <laughs> your full attention. And then maybe we could also like finish that off with some letting go technique type stuff where of just sitting with the emotion, like whatever's left. So if you want to follow along with us, definitely feel free to. We could probably just do it on anxiety since that's just a general universal one. And as I'm speaking, if you're listening to this, I suggest if you want to follow along, just creating a little space to be by yourself, be quiet, a little, little place where you feel good. And to just think about something that's been bothering you recently, something that maybe is triggering some anxiety. Of course, Sam, feel free to follow along as well. And I wouldn't suggest picking anything that's going to trigger like tons of intense emotion. Maybe look for something that's like somewhere between a four to maybe a six or seven out of 10. Nothing super intense, but start to be aware of what that might be. Maybe there's a situation that jumped to mind. And for the purpose of tapping, we want to invite the emotion up. It might be a little bit uncomfortable, but again, we're normally suppressing it. So just by bringing it up, we're inviting it to be lifted to the surface of the body and to be cleared out. So start to be aware of what that situation is and notice if you have any resistance to letting the emotion up. Maybe there's part of you that's like, ah, I'm not really sure. Maybe I don't want to think about this right now. But if you feel safe and ready to let it up, just start to notice the resistance and just start to let it melt away as best you can. Don't try to resist the resistance. Just allow it to be and melt a little bit. And as it does, just start to allow the energy of that up to the surface. And we'll stick with anxiety, but if it happens to be different for you, if it's sadness, if it's anger, whatever it is, you can just substitute anxiety for that. We'll start with just a very gentle tap on anxiety. And as the emotion starts to rise to the surface of the body, don't try to push it down. Just let it up. Welcome it up to whatever extent you feel ready and safe to do so. And just notice where you feel it in the body. The strongest, maybe it's in the chest or the stomach, or maybe it's somewhere else. Just notice. Notice what the sensations feel like. Maybe there's like a butterfly sensation. Maybe there's heat or tension or tingling, whatever it is. Without judgment, just notice it directly. And rate it on a scale of 1 to 10 in intensity. Just make a mental note. Is it a 5 out of 10? Whatever it is, just note what it is at the beginning. And we're just going to start off by tapping the side of the hand, right below the pinky. It doesn't matter which hand. Using your other hand, you're tapping the side of the hand right below the pinky. And as you tap gently but firmly on that spot on the side of the hand, you can repeat after me. You can change the words if you want to change them to suit you better. You can verbalize anything that jumps in your mind. Just treat it like a conversation that you're having, even though you're not here with us. You can just repeat after me, even though I feel this anxiety. Sam, if you want to verbalize it, feel free to. Even though I feel this anxiety. I choose to love and accept myself. I choose to love and accept myself. Do you feel comfortable sharing where you might be feeling anything in your body? I'm feeling just a little bit in my upper stomach, kind of like a little bit below the chest. Okay. And what would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? It's not too bad. I think it's like a 4. Okay. So even though I feel it in my solar plexus area. Even though I feel it in my solar plexus area. I choose to love and accept myself. I choose to love and accept myself. Even though I feel it at a 4 out of 10. 
middle. I'm feeling it at four out of ten. Safe. Safe. And I choose to love and accept myself even with this emotion. And I choose to love and accept myself even with this emotion. I'm just tapping the top of the head, right at the center of the top of the head. This anxiety is uncomfortable. Anxiety is really uncomfortable. I've been avoiding it. Avoiding it. Don't want to feel it. Don't even want to feel it. Maybe I've been distracting myself. Maybe I've been distracting myself. But I don't have to right now. I don't have to right now. I'm giving myself space to actually feel it. Giving myself space to actually feel it. Tapping right on the inside of the eyebrow. It's like an energy field. An energy field. Like a cloud made of energy. Like a cloud made of energy. And it's just kind of stuck in there. It's just feeling kind of stuck in there. But I'm safe to feel it right now. I'm safe to feel it right now. I don't have to change it. I don't have to change it. I can just notice it. I can just notice it. Now moving your hand to tap beside the eye. Right beside the eye. Safe to feel this anxiety. Safe to feel this anxiety. And safe to release it when I'm ready. Safe to release it when I'm ready. Tapping underneath the eye. Right on the bone. Right beneath the eye. But I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Or maybe I'm not yet. Maybe I'm not yet. I just want to feel anxious. I just want to feel anxious. Maybe there's all these what-if thoughts floating around in my head. Maybe there's all these what-if thoughts floating around in my head. And maybe I think I'm not supposed to think that. I definitely think I'm not supposed <laughs> to think that. I'm just supposed to let it go. I'm just supposed to let it go. But I can't. But I can't. And I accept myself anyway. And I accept myself anyway. I, maybe I prefer the version of myself that's not anxious. Maybe I prefer the version of myself that's not anxious. But I choose to love the part of myself that is anxious. Choose to love the part of myself that is anxious. It's just trying to protect me. It's just trying to protect me. It's trying to give me signals that says, look out. It's trying to give me a signal to look out. But I'm good. I'm safe in this moment. I'm safe in this moment. Safe to let go of whatever I'm worried about. Safe to let go of whatever I am worrying about. Tapping above the lip, right above the lip. Safe to feel it. Safe to feel it. I can put my attention on it in the body. My attention on it in the body. And it's safe to stop trying to change it. It's safe to stop trying to change it. Just going to let the anxious energy flow through. Just going to let the anxious energy flow through. Anxiety is just a word. Anxiety is just a word. It's just a bunch of sensations in my body. It's just a bunch of sensations in my body. And I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. And even though I'm feeling it. Even though I'm feeling it. I'm safe. I am safe. Tapping right below the lip. I can create space for it. I can create space for it. And maybe part of me is trying to control. Maybe a part of me is trying to control. A bunch of things I can't control bunch of things I can't control. It's just an old habit. It's just an old habit. Tapping right below the collarbone. So if you feel your collarbone, the soft spot right below the collarbone. It's safe to stop trying to control. It's safe to stop trying to control. Safe to trust something bigger than me. Safe to trust something bigger than me. Whether it's a higher power of my understanding. Whether it's a higher power of my understanding. 
or whether it's just good old universal energy. Whether it's just good old universal energy. And tapping right underneath the armpit four inches down, right where the bra line is on women. Just tapping that and repeating. Safe to release this anxiety. It's safe to release this anxiety. I don't have to hold it in my body. I don't have to hold it in my body. Safe to release it. Safe to release it. Whatever I'm worried about, I'll deal with in the moment. And whatever I'm worried about, I'll deal with in a moment. I'll actually deal with it more effectively. I'll actually deal with it more effectively. Because I'll be relaxed and clear-minded and present. Because I'll be relaxed and clear-minded and present. So I can just be present in this moment now. So I can just be present in this moment now. Can let the cloud of anxiety evaporate. Can let the cloud of anxiety evaporate. Just finally tapping between the fourth and fifth finger, right below the knuckle, between the ring and the pinky finger in the groove. Safe to release all this now. Safe to release all of this now. And if any of it's still stuck in my body. Any of it is still stuck in my body. That's okay. That's okay. I'll just let it flow when it wants to flow. I will just let it flow when it wants to flow. And feel it and release it whenever it comes up. And feel it and release it whenever it comes up. <sighs> just take a deep breath. You can stop tapping. And just take a quiet moment to close your eyes wherever you are. And just tune into your body. Notice what your new number is on a scale of 1 to 10. Maybe it's gone up, maybe it's stayed the same, maybe it's gone down. Try not to judge it either way. Sometimes the energy can peak a little bit more, like a wave, before it subsides. Maybe it has gone down. In any case, just welcome it to be what it is in this moment and start to ignore your thoughts. And with your eyes closed and your body fairly still, just start to bring all your attention to whatever energy is still present within the body. Any little bit of anxiety or any other emotion that might still be lingering, even if it's slight, just start to be aware of it as you ignore your thoughts and focus all your attention on it directly. Don't try to change it. Don't try to escape it. Just welcome it. Allow it to be there. And watch it. Notice if there's any little bit of you that's still trying to control it in any way. See if you can just relax into that, surrender that part of you, release control, and just allow it to flow through you like a wave as you watch it. Release all expectations, keep ignoring your thoughts, and just allow that energy to do whatever it wants to do as it flows through you for another few moments of silent attention, ignoring your thoughts, staying with the emotion. Just envision it and feel it and invite it to start to lift and evaporate with the cloud. Imagine yourself handing it over to a higher power of your understanding. Don't think about how to surrender or let go of the emotion. Just trust your intuitive ability to let it go and just be willing to let it go. Feel it lift and flow through you like a wave with the breath. If you feel inclined to take a breath, just breathe deep. Let it go. Feel it crackle out of the body. 
start to welcome in a sense of lightness, spaciousness, relaxation, good, positive, loving energy in that area where you created space. Like a new, fresh energy is rushing in and you're just allowing it to flow through you, every cell of your body. Becoming infused with this light. If any energy is still lingering, just trusting that it'll tend to flow through as you stay in the rhythm of the moment. If you ever need to shift your attention to any energy, just feel free to take a deep breath, shift your attention to something neutral or positive, and the energy will shift pretty shortly as you stay in the rhythm of the moment. But just notice any shift that you observed. And maybe even check in with the thing that originally brought up the anxiety or whatever emotion you felt. See if there's any shift in your relationship to the feeling, the intensity of the feeling. Notice if it's gone down on a scale of 1 to 10. And take a couple moments to process and notice if you think about that situation differently. Maybe it's more frictionless and effortless to perceive it the way you want to perceive it, your highest intentions. Less of the negative energy in the way of how you want to see it. And when you feel ready, you can open your eyes. Feel free to share anything you observe, Sam. I have to say, for at least an entire minute, I forgot you were here. <laughs> I thought I was listening to one of the saved videos <laughs> on my phone. You're like, I'm alone in a hotel uh, uh, for a moment. I just, <laughs> I for, yeah, I just kind of forgot my body, which I think is very characteristic of a powerful meditation. You kind of forget where you are and you retreat. Wow, I actually feel really good. I'm kind of realizing right now that I just kind of live with a three to four of anxiety. Like that's just my natural state. Yeah. When you asked me to rate it, there was a part of me that wanted to say, I don't have any, but I was like, no, I think there's a little bit. And I think everyone can even hear in my voice, like how much more relaxed I am. Like this feels like a zero. I'm like super chill, Amazing. but I kind of operate at those higher, not higher levels, but those levels like at three to four. And so I hope everyone else kind of feels the same way. Like, oh, I didn't even know there was a deeper level below where I was. Cause I kind of thought I, I didn't, I wouldn't, if someone had asked me before the meditation, if I felt anxious, I would have said no, mm. but I'm feeling a marked difference. Totally. Yeah. Um, at least I don't demonize like four of anxiety. I'm like, that's okay. Like sometimes you need a little bit of anxiety to kind of get things moving, but wow, I'm feeling really calm right now. That's so dope. So good. I, thank you so much. Wow. Yeah. And it's like you said, like most people walk around with this hum of anxiety that's so constant that they don't even know it's there. And they'll say exactly what you said, which is like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm like chill. But then they'll do you know, some emotional work or meditation and they're like, what? I'm so much more relaxed. Like, I don't even know. It's exactly what you said. And it's because of, you know, the culture we live in now for the most part is like, we're always tapped into this, this system, you know, with social media, with just the pace of the world. I mean, we're in New York city right now. And like, it's the epitome of that, right? Like you walk out and it's just like, everything's at a nine out of 10, like all the time assaulted with energy so it's just insane so basically recognizing that empowers you to go find another deeper level which is amazing because then it's like whoa like 
and I would invite you to even take a moment to visualize, like, could you see yourself getting done what you wanted to do from this place? You know, like internally, I'm not, I'm not saying you would do everything in like a super chill way, but just from that feeling inside, like, could you, could you see or feel how that would be first of all possible, but second of all, like even desirable if, if you wanted to? Well, for me, definitely. And for my clients, I hear my clients say things like, oh, I just have a lot on my to-do list. Like they'll say things like, I need to do laundry. I need to get the dishes done. I need to go get groceries. I need to do this. And I'm like, I don't have time for yoga or like, I don't have time for meditation because I have to do all that. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> you should do the meditation and yoga first yeah. because the, the energy you bring to those things is so different. I mean, I mean, I clearly sound very different on the mic right now. I'm very relaxed. That's but the first thing that changes is, is the is voice. The voice. Yeah. Well, and that's how you just kind of sound all the time, which makes, <laughs> which makes sense because you're living and breathing this work, right? But anytime I'm noticing that I'm getting in my head about all the things I have to do, right? The reason why I'm creating that story is because I'm thinking when I get that done, then I'll feel relaxed, right? right? We talked right. about this earlier, but tapping and meditation has been the way that I've completely hacked the system and I'm not perfect with it. But if I'm noticing that I'm wanting to feel peace at the end of that, I'll just say, okay, what if I gave a little peace to myself now? Right. And then the actual efficiency I bring to those to-do lists afterwards is amazing. I can actually almost extend the meditation into the laundry and like into the grocery shopping, right? I'm actually doing that in a meditative state now. And then I realize later after the day is over, like, wow, I actually felt really good today. And isn't that all that we want? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's like literally all we want. We think we want stuff, but we, we just want to feel good in our bodies and like chill and happy and, and, and in control of our emotions. Totally. Like to be able to just be present and loving and feel a sense of abundance, like, like the word abundance, right? Like, what is that? What does that actually, what does that mean? Again, it's just, it's like anxiety. It's just like, it's, a, it's another feeling. Like, what is abundance? It may be, like, I would describe it as like a feeling of like robust, overflowing energy. That's like, was expansive, you know, like as opposed to constrictive. So, um, yeah, like to feel those energies and, and like you said, to to like just enjoy what you're doing. Like even the small things. Like that's what we talked about with the drop-off phase. Like we are accustomed to being stressed and to just like get these things done, get them out of the way, run on adrenaline so we can get to like the things that we're conditioned to think are enjoyable. Whereas if you stick with the drop-off phase, you know, it can often just be like a minute or two. That's what I even said in that in that video I made on TikTok. Like if you just stay in the present moment, presently doing one thing at a time, there's going to be that initial friction of like, oh, oh, I feel like I have to speed back up. But if you stick with it, often it can just take a, a couple minutes or a few minutes. And all of a sudden you find yourself in this state where you're like, wait, I'm just enjoying like picking up this, this glass of water and drinking it, or I'm enjoying like lifting my laptop and moving it to the next table, like stupid stuff that you would just do on autopilot and not even think about at all. Like you would just do it like unconsciously, like, oh, I moved the laptop. Like I didn't didn't even notice, like normally that's how we would feel half the time um, or just not be present with it. But you can find that state where you're like, this actually just feels good. Um, It kind of feels like I'm on drugs, to be honest. Like when I, (laughs) no, when I get to these states, sometimes like I'll, I'll do something like washing my produce to make juice and the whole experience feels so vivid. Like I'm like 
I'm cutting it and chopping it and then I'm putting the water on and then I'm putting it in the, and I'm watching this almost like symphony or like concert of things before my awareness. Whereas before, like I'm just in my head. So I'm not noticing what I'm doing. And like you said, picking up the glass of water, like all of this can be, this sounds so strange, but I almost make every small movement, like a, like an artwork, like, okay. Like how, like artwork, like, like how am I going to make my coffee as if I was art? Right. And I'm like paying attention to it as if it's like, I don't know, like a studio Ghibli movie or something (laughs) like in my mind, because I'm trying to be present with it. But what you said about the feeling of abundance, what's so, what's so ironic is that that's actually the natural state. Like that's how I feel right now. What I needed was to actually remove the blocks to that state. And so I think a couple final things is I think a lot of people are trying to get things outside secure that state when in reality you just need to release something right. to find that state 100 i mean that's such a good way of putting it is like you're just letting go of what's in the way of that like it, it's already there like you don't <laughs> you don't need to add anything to it it's like it's already there it's letting go yeah well and that's what's crazy about it is i mean hawkins talks about that in the letting go book a lot it's like we're conditioned to think that it has to be everything has to be difficult or complicated right? Like they can't be simple or easy. And he even, I think he says that at the end of like the first chapter, he's like, why, why do you have to make everything like super hard work? It's not that hard work can't be valuable, you know, in in a certain context, but like, why does everything have to be like, like, like he talks about the societal, societal belief that if you don't work hard for something, like it's worth nothing. Well, like I I totally understand that point of view, but at the same time, like he, he just says in the book, why does that have to be true? That's just like an unchallenged mm, belief. 100%. Like, does a kid think that? Like who's five years old? Like I have to work hard for this. Otherwise I can't enjoy. It totally is a limiting belief. And also I think when people hear hard work, what they're really saying is suffering is required right. for me to get what I want. Because I tell people all the time, I totally work hard. Like I do a lot of shit, mm. but I don't suffer through it. It's a really and good so, point. yeah, it actually feels easy. So when people say like, oh, you need to work hard, that means suffer and feel pain. Otherwise it's not worth it. Whereas I think there's a lot of very, you know, traditionally successful people who would say that things feel quite easy, but they're not just lazing around. Like they, they are doing, you know, hard work. It's just not through the suffering. It's not, I think a lot of people are doing the work while fighting emotions that they haven't been able to release. And so that's the part that feels hard, not the actual work itself. It's, and that reminds me of like, you know, even doing the dishes and the laundry, those also aren't hard. Mm. What is so hard is your resistance to that, right? Like the, oh, fuck, I got to do the laundry. Right, fuck, right, I got to. Right. It's like, that's the hard part. If, and that's why doing the yoga meditation before doing it, not after it's all done, is so powerful because then those tasks can actually become quite, I mean, quite calming and enjoyable, actually. And so the same for your quote unquote hard work, that too can become quite enjoyable when you're not fighting through all this emotion that you haven't dealt with. That's such a brilliant distinction, so eloquently put, because just that idea of like, like exactly what you said, it can be hard work, but it can feel easy. Like that, <laughs> that's such a soundbite right there. Like, I, I love that because that's it. It's like once you go into that state of non-resistance, that state of just being internally aligned to what you're doing, like most, most things become like, there'll be moments that are challenging, but like most of the time it can feel easy. But even though externally you're doing like hard work, but yeah, just stripping away that, that distinction, that association people have of like, it's suffering is such a brilliant observation. And it even reminds me of what you were saying earlier about 
like being relaxed and, you know, feeling like, oh, okay, I'm going to do all my stuff and then I'll be relaxed. I feel like just like you pointed out that, that I guess, misconception or distinction about um, hard work. Another one that I would offer is like the, dis- the association people have towards relaxation in our culture is often like relaxation where it's like, I'm going to like smoke a joint and like eat a bunch of food and just veg out on the couch. Like that's their version of relaxation. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you enjoy doing. But there's a different kind of relaxation that you can access, which is like a meditative relaxation where you're super alert, super clear. You're, you're able to take action at any moment, but you're just relaxed. Right. And when you only have that binary of like, I'm an adrenaline and I'm running around doing a bunch of stuff and I'm like a chicken, my my head cut off or I'm relaxed and I'm just like chilling on the couch doing nothing, but I feel almost like sloth like then of course you're going to feel like I can't relax because then I'll just lie on the couch. Like that's what happens when I'm relaxed. Like I don't feel motivated to do anything because that's Mm. association. association. A lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people we feel we have with relaxation. So if you just go, there's a third option is relaxed and alert. Right. Then, then you're like, oh, I don't have to be adrenaline mode. I can be chill, but I can also be clear, not like uh, lethargic. Exactly. I think a lot of people associate relaxation with like avoidance. And like you said, the sloth thing. It's like, yeah. oh, well, like if I relax and I'll just become like a potato or something. But you can totally live in a relaxed, alert state. Because, I mean, that's that's where the creations come through. Like that's where the video ideas come. That's where the writing comes from. That's where like the new business idea it's, it is actually in the relaxed alertness. It's not in the adrenaline for sure. You know, that's not a time for new thinking, but that's time for survival, right? You Mm. you don't even have blood flow in the brain as, as the kind of blood flow you would need to generate those ideas. He's like, that's your best ideas are not going to come then. Right. And they, and they also don't come when you're like trying to avoid yourself right through yeah. the relaxation in the typical sense. And so, wow, I think this is going to help so many people. This is amazing. Thank you so much, Cyrus. I can't believe you're sitting across from me. When I, when I closed my eyes, I really thought like, I'm just listening to the videos. <laughs> so it's so crazy that you're here, but thank you for bringing your wisdom and for meeting me today. So synchronistic. I'm so happy. No, it was amazing to chat with you and, and Gina and I learned, I learned so much. So yeah. thanks. Thanks oh, for having me. Sweet. on. It was a dream. Um, final couple of things. Let us know where they can find you online and how they can book a session with you if they want to do tapping with you privately. Yeah. Yeah. So you can email me at the mental level at gmail.com. That's the mental level, all one word at gmail.com. If you want to uh, book a session, if you want to ask me any questions, you can just email me find me on instagram at the mental level you can find me on youtube at the mental level if you want meditations and you're struggling to figure out where to start with meditation really straightforward simple accessible meditations so check me out on youtube at the mental level you can also find me on insight timer which is a great app for meditations i'm at the mental level and then on tiktok if you want to see some short videos on tiktok and kind of experiment with different stuff that we talked about today check it out on tiktok at the mental level as well um so yeah pretty much uh, the same across all platforms amazing the mental level there it is thank you so much i can't wait for everyone to do this and i really hope the tapping helped and um we'll see you on the next one thanks so much sam bye 
Thank you so much for listening to this honest conversation. We hope it brought you peace, clarity, and a little bit further along your spiritual journey. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left us a five-star rating and review so we can bring you more conscious conversations, spiritual topics, and guests. Here's to spiraling higher. Thank you.